The Bharatvarta Weekly is where we discuss the week's most relevant news and events in a calm, measured and interesting way, live with your favorite guests. So if you want to really appreciate the news and actually benefit from it, skip the news and watch the weekly. Welcome everyone. Namaste. Thank you so much for tuning in to the Bharatvarta Weekly. I'm Roshan Karyappa. I have Abhishek and Nirav here with me to discuss the news and events of the week that was. Of course, we're talking on 14th August, a day before our Independence Day. We'll talk about the 76th Independence Day celebrations along with a few other things that happened last week. Uh, the Bihar uh, political drama which is unfolding, the unfortunate incident of author Salman Rushdie being stabbed. And then there was this whole incident of the Amadmi Party's Kejriwal and uh, the the current uh, BJP government on freebies and so on. The unfortunate demise of uh, uh, industry stalwarts Rakesh Junjunwala and Anshu Jain, and a lot more. So we have a lot to discuss on this weekly. Thanks for tuning in. If you are listening to it on a podcast platform, don't forget to rate and review us. If you're listening to it to us on YouTube, don't forget to like and share this video. It helps more people discover this content. So let's get started. As usual, let's talk about the episodes we put out last week. Uh, there was one on the great tribal warriors of Bharat. This was with uh, authors Tuhin Sinha and Ambalika. Yeah. yeah so uh, personally, I mean, I was um, actually fascinated by all of the alternate independence movements that happened in India. Right. I mean, at least in the history books, you know, we're not taught of all of uh, these. Right. Uh, like Aluri Raju and the other agrarian movements that happened. Uh, we're only taught about the mainstream. Uh, which is, you know, Mahatma Gandhi and, you know, whatever else happened uh, with the Congress party and so on, the Quit India and, and so on and so forth. This was uh, this was a fascinating overview into everything else that happened in India during that time, right? I would highly recommend uh, people check it out. It's got a lot of nuggets and a lot of insights on uh, on of the, all of these uh, unseen, unheard of uh, warriors and so on. So do check out that episode. Abhishek, Neera, what do you guys think about the episode with Harsh? Yeah, so I really enjoyed, you know, listening to Harsh lay out his uh, you know state of affairs of the Indian economy and also you know expand more on his you know general thesis of uh, how India is growing is going to grow in the next uh, few years and decades and so yeah it was uh, really uh, well worth uh, the time you know spending listening to Harsh uh, expand on uh, various facets of the economy so the one thing about Harsh that I will say is that you know there are uh, very few people that I am aware of who are able to you know bring together both the economic economic analysis as well as you know the larger political as well as you know societal side of the analysis right and uh, that's where you know his uh, he's so good right because he's able to show you the bigger picture from a variety of facets right and i i definitely recommend this to all our listeners yeah the way is uh, that's a very important point the way he can combine economy with the, the social political aspects i think makes it uh, a lot more interesting uh, and of course i mean guy can articulate really really well uh, so yeah, yeah i mean do check out both of these episodes yeah no so i don't have much to add what abhishek said but like i think the main thing is he is optimistic but he also puts in like with valid reasoning and yeah. valid points etc is what not what you would call irrationally exuberant so i think it's it's quite a nice thing and he brings in multiple perspectives all together ties it in nicely so yeah. absolutely even another one is 
the sort of global perspective right so he's sort of yeah. able to trace where in our journey we are compared to let's say some of the other developed countries right so we may be today like japan in the 70s or united states in the 50s or whatever like he's able to sort of show that global perspective as well because you know he's very well read and well informed about these things yeah uh, yeah for sure i mean check out those uh, two episodes both the the one on the great tribal warriors of bharat and the state of the economy both are available on youtube currently we will be uploading them on podcast platforms as well shortly do check it out and of course like share all of the good stuff moving on to the first piece of uh, news for this week author salman rushdie was stabbed during an event last week reportedly an assailant rushed to the stage and lunged at the 75 year old writer just as he was being introduced to the audience he was then put on ventilator due to his uh, injuries and was unable to speak until this morning police identified the suspect as 24 year old hadi mathur from new jersey mathur recently appeared before a court and pleaded not guilty to attempted murder and assaulted charges against the author in 1989 iran's late leader ayatollah khomeini issued an edict calling for rushdie's uh, death due to the book the satanic verses ever since the author has been in hiding and has lived under police protection well i mean it's it's been so long that i kind of forgot that you know this thing was even relevant you know i mean it, from 1989 right 30 plus years it's really unfortunate what happened what do you think abhishek quite a very unfortunate occurrence right this week and as you said this is a sort of long ongoing saga right where in 1989 his book comes out funnily enough india is like one of the first in fact the first country to sort of take action by saying that it will ban the import of this book right and obviously no publisher in india was also uh, willing to publish the book so effectively it became a banned book in india we know about the fatwa uh, issued by iran's uh, supreme leader he went into hiding for a substantially long time and i think maybe in the early 2000s probably he started uh, uh, you know coming back to a more normal sort of life uh, and there have been incidents where um, you know he was invited to uh, uh, the jaipur lit fest and then the organizers sort of backed down uh, because of perceived threats and then you know his interviews were sort of uh, done in uh, private rooms and things like that so uh, it's been a sort of rocky road and kind of tells us that uh, this blasphemy threat that comes from uh, islamists uh, is like a lifelong threat right and if you look at the particular case right he was about to give a speech in somewhere in new york state well away from the city uh, and the person who stabbed him is a 24 year old uh, you know american who hails somewhere from the middle east i'm not sure whether it's iranian or lebanese and while officially the police not yet you know given any motive people have looked at his uh, at the perpetrators uh, social media profiles and he's sort of like a fanboy of the Iranian regime and so on so it's quite likely that you know what uh, chances are that he has got sort of self motivated and decided that you know this was an opportunity to uh, you know carry out the fatwa on his own rather than you know it doesn't look like he's part of some grand elaborate conspiracy it's more like this guy taking action on his own the broader thing is this blasphemy threat sort of marks out people uh, definitely for the rest of their lives uh, right and we know about the incidents that are happening in india this year due to the statements and the controversy surrounding nupur sharma right yeah i mean obviously people will say there are very different things and yes there is some difference 
sense but ultimately uh, it also comes down to the blasphemy case i think a few weeks back we were discussing that a nice i said and i, I was quoting something from i think the vanity fair magazine or something right where they have documented uh, the salman rushti case has uh, taken the lives of about 60 plus people overall right which is not a small number so yeah it's pretty insane you know i mean uh, to have things like this happen in 2022 i think uh, you know prasanna had made the point earlier when we discussed uh, the nupur sharma case that how could someone ignore humanity in the present for something of the past right um and yeah i mean considering that the the, uh, the, the assailant was you know 24 i mean he wasn't even born he wasn't even around when uh, this whole incident happened in 1989 it's a pretty harsh reminder that uh, you know there are certain fanatics uh, uh, around and uh, yeah we must uh, kind of do everything possible to you know be a saner society i suppose moving on the nation is prepared to celebrate the 76th independence day president draupadi murmu will address the nation uh, on the eve uh, today her address to the nation will be broadcast from 7 pm on sunday to the entire uh, national network of all india radio and telecast over all channels of doordarshan in hindi english and regional languages on uh, uh, the other channels meanwhile prime minister narendra modi will address the nation from the ramparts of redford tomorrow august 15 uh, at his behest people across the nation are enthusiastically participating in the hargar thiranga campaign uh, nirav did you get your flag in singapore yeah so in singapore yes uh, we uh, got on a flag and also uh, taken a day off so uh going to the indian embassy my parents have got in a flag at home uh, they've hung it uh, out there uh, like my parents apartment building i think it's very everybody is really enthusiastic i think every apartment is uh, hanging the flag out there and this is quite a nice thing see this is i think 75 years of independence uh, india has done reasonably well we need to remember what was the starting point we've done a lot of things right we've done some things wrong and like the thing is a journey that we are on i think the next 25 years looks better than the last 25 right so i think it's a very nice thing uh, obviously like we all need to celebrate even including people living outside india but still indian citizens so for all of us it's a very big day this is a very proud event prime minister modi really knows the idea of symbolism he kind of uh, gets the people's emotion and gets the connect this whole campaign har ghar tiranga is just uniting people together whether or not anyone agrees with his politics uh, it's a great thing for him to keep this and uh, everybody's proud of their nation so absolutely this is a fantastic thing and uh, hopefully all of us uh, celebrate independence day uh, happily and uh, we've reached 75 not out so hopefully the 100th anniversary all of us should be there should be like a much bigger grander event yeah for sure i mean it's important to remember that nobody really gave us a chance right i mean there's the churchill quote or something that you know india will go to thieves and what not we might look at uh, i don't know japan or korea and whoever else and try to try to think that hey i mean we have not done as well like nirav said i think the starting point and also considering how large and complex we are you know the legacy of uh, not just colonialism but invasions and so on i think we've done fairly well as a modern nation i should say right and you know this year is particularly significant considering that i think up until now at least this is the first sort of relatively covid free year uh, so i hope the celebrations are not really muted uh, in fact i mean i can already see a lot of people on the street uh, you know celebrating with the flags and everything and, and yeah mr modi knows the pulse of the nation right i mean this hargar tiranga is such a genius you know initiative uh, the indian postal service has uh, sold something like 9 crore flags apparently uh, i ordered mine as well so i ordered a couple of flags for 25 rupees each and uh, it was delivered to my doorstep Fantastic. 
fantastic. I mean, every apartment in our society has uh, put out the flag. Yeah, and it's a very sort of a non-partisan kind of a thing, right? Uh, which is uh, irrespective of what side of the political aisle you are. Celebrate the fact that you're Indian. Celebrate the fact that you're optimistic about the future. What are your thoughts, Abhishek? Yeah, absolutely. So, I, as you said, you know, this this Har Ghar Tiranga campaign is uh, very popular. Also, one of those, right, where you can be bipartisan, right? There's hardly uh, any room or scope for debating too much on this. And so, yeah, and also, as you said, uh, after two long years of, uh, you know, COVID-related constraints, good to see celebrations of festivals, including in the Independence Day, getting back to, you know, a more normal kind of phase. See, I think the, the tenets of the Republic, right? I mean, whether it's the flag or the anthem or whatever, I mean, they have to be constantly reinforced, right? I mean, because this, uh, you know, a nation is, uh, you know, you can call it a man-made entity. It needs to be constantly reinforced so people align with the ethos of the nation as well, right? So so I think it's very important, this whole flag and uh, uh, anthem, uh, you know, right? I mean, I hope people don't like, you know, take it very lightly and uh, uh, they they take pride in such things, you know. Moving on, it's politics as usual. There's a political drama unfolding in Bihar and uh, Mr. Nitish Kumar has taken oath as uh, Chief Minister again. For the eighth time in 22 years, uh, recently he announced a new grand alliance which includes Tejasvi Yadav's uh, RJD. Mr. Kumar ended his alliance with the Bharati Janata Party, uh, led National Democratic Alliance and rejoined hands with RJD, alleging that the BJP was trying to break up his party. Lalu Prasad Yadav's son, Mr. Tejasvi, is also likely to take Take oath as Deputy Chief Minister. Uh, Abhishek, interesting political developments. Obviously, we will dive deeper into all of this stuff uh, with Rohit. Um, but what do you make of it? Yeah, I mean, it happened quite suddenly in the sense that, let's say, last week we were not discussing this topic, right? And so we, we couldn't say last Sunday that we knew something like this was going to suddenly happen. Although, obviously, the thing in, things in the background would have been, you know, uh, in the works for a long time. Uh, and so, yeah, I think uh, the general impression right now, I think, is that we are moving into a different phase in Indian politics where the BJP is now looking to dominate the Indian political scene on its own, right? And so over the last uh, few years, a uh, number of old, older uh, allies of the BJP have left the NDA structure, whether it is the Akali Dal or the Shiv Sena in its previous avatar, right? The Thakre Shiv Sena, let's say. And now uh, the Janata Dal United, uh, Nitish. As you know, Nitish Kumar and uh, Prime Minister Modi have had a sort of very fractious relationship over the years, right? And while uh, Nitish Kumar and BJP were uh, allies for a long time in Bihar and from 2005 onwards, quite a competent government was uh, running in Bihar. Uh, once the announcement or it became uh, clear that Narendra Modi would be the prime minister uh, candidate from the BJP, he sort of started his protests and basically came out of the NDA, right? Because he felt that he could not really work. I mean, there were too many differences in Nitish Kumar's ideology and Narendra Modi's ideology on questions of secularism and so on, right? And so 2015, he even formed a government with the RJD there, right? Which is it's his old, uh, like 20, 30 year old rivalry with Lalu Prasad and his party was sort of ended to form the government. Uh, that did not last very long and because there were too many issues in functioning on the ground. And so 
Nitish Kumar came back to the uh, NDA in 2017 and since then uh, managed to you know win the last assembly election in Bihar in 2020 do very well in the 2019 elections as well but i think people who know uh, Bihar's politics will say that while Nitish Kumar is personally very popular he has not really formed a large party or a very large social coalition right the jdu does not get too many seats even though it continues to be the, to head the governments right and so kind of is always in a sort of challenging position right and uh, the current worry was that looking at the trends in general as well as you know whatever is happening in bihar he would have calculated that eventually the bjp would like to break his party take away some substantial chunks from it and basically then take over his base social political base as well right in the long run there was no space for nitish kumar and the jdu in bihar and so he sort of preempted that and decided to at least keep power as long as he can by switching sides and allying with the rjd the rjd did really well in the last assembly election and therefore the chances are that even in 2025 if nitish and rjd are able to sort of uh, stay together the chances are they will easily retain power then now what happens in 2024 general elections is more interesting because people vote differently uh, in assembly elections where they are voting for a cm versus when they are trying to elect a prime minister and narendra modi's popularity in bihar is quite high uh, even though it doesn't reflect so much in the assembly results and so i think what we will see is a sort of divergence where the bjp does quite well in 2024 general elections but rjd and nitish will probably retain power in 2025 of course these are very early long term predictions i am making things can obviously change in the next few years but yeah basically it's more of a survival instinct taking over for nitish uh, deciding to strike out before something happened to him where you know his party got broke and substantially and things like that so a quick follow up right i mean do you see this happening uh, uh, in other states as well where you know local regional parties are more skeptical of allying with the bjp afraid of uh, let's say an operation kamala kind of uh, yeah so uh, i think initiative? if you look at the alliances that the bjp has more or less it doesn't have too many alliances left it has now very small parties that it allies with in few places like let's say uttar pradesh or right now the interesting one is shiv sena alliance in maharashtra but that is something which is which has been engineered by the bjp right now to end the older shiv sena sort of thing right and then it has allies in places in like the northeast where we know that it's or you know where traditionally it was not such a strong force but it needed allies and local parties you know to get to grow and we you know become a dominant player in that landscape but right now if you see the really old alliances they are gone right whether it is akali dal or jdu and so on and even admk probably is gone in tamil nadu so i think it's kind of understood now that the bjp is now sort of becoming even more dominant 
on the Indian political scene and within the NDA, right? And so the space for allies is kind of hitting more constraint. Yeah, it was good to see uh, Rajdeep Sardesai again excited uh, sometime, somewhat uh, last week, right? With his polls and yeah, theatrics and whatnot. Well, moving on, um, Sri Lanka has allowed a controversial Chinese ship to dock at its port. Uh, the Yuan Wang 5 is described as a research and survey vessel by the international shipping and analytics sites. However, Indian authorities insist it is a dual-use spy ship. Reportedly, the ship can be employed for space and satellite tracking and has specific uses in intercontinental ballistic missile launches. India's foreign ministry has said it will closely monitor any bearing on India's security and economic interests and take all necessary measures to safeguard them. Well, India must feel a bit more disappointed than usual uh, considering uh, the help that they've been uh, uh, giving to Sri Lanka, right? Uh, What do you make of this, uh, uh, Nirov? There are multiple things possible, right? So one is Sri Lanka is going through an economic crisis and uh, they are kind of playing their neighbors who can give them a little more support. So that's step one, right? Uh, You're trying and leveraging that, that, oh, if you don't want this, then uh, we'll do this. Thing number two is China does have Sri Lanka uh, with a tough grip. Uh, They own the Hambantota port for a 99-year lease. So that technically they can say that it is part of their port and they can do whatever they want. I don't know the details about it. Two is... Uh, with the whole Taiwan issue when Nancy Pelosi uh, landed in Taiwan, China is flexing its muscles and telling everyone to recognize the one-China policy. India does follow the one-China policy. Uh, we do recognize uh, just one government. Like with Taiwan, we don't have diplomatic relationship, though we kind of also follow the US dictum of strategic ambiguity. India deals with Taiwanese companies. India deals with Taiwanese nationals. Taiwanese nationals have visited India on their passport or whatever you call it. So India does not like... It does have this policy of strategic ambiguity. So maybe China is trying to tell India to do this. So I think there are multiple things. Uh, in like diplomacy, we need to manage opposing forces uh, quite well. India needs to do what is best for itself. Uh, maybe that's a way of like putting pressure on Sri Lanka or saying we cut off aid if you don't do this. Maybe it is uh, with China in a certain way where India does have a lot less leverage right now. But probably India should try and like project its power. So I think it's, it's a delicate issue and all sides need to be sensible about it. I think this is more of like posturing by China. Uh, they had like a three-day military exercise August 4th to 7th after Pelosi left around Taiwan. Probably this is one of those things as well, right? So they're trying and pushing the envelope, trying and pushing to like the point where others to see that what is tolerated by their neighbors and uh, India needs to push back in a way which doesn't actually have unwanted side effects, right? So it is like a delicate issue, but uh, probably uh, India would want to like do something about it. Second thing is, this is an like it's such a large ship with a lot of uh, satellite, like a lot of tracking equipment, etc. Right? Uh, a real spy ship, which actually doing real spy work, probably would be like a submarine. And this is more to show the outside world, not to show, uh, or it's a show of power rather than doing actual spy work. So I would think uh, that's what it is. So let's see. Hopefully, I think Sena voices prevail and all this gets de-escalated and we move on. It probably is a non-issue. No, but um, I think there's a real threat for India from this whole Chinese posturing perspective, right? Because how just how far will they take it with this? October uh, re-election coming up uh, of uh, Xi Jinping, right? I mean, uh, you know, this thing, we've said it a couple of times already on the podcast that things could escalate on the border, right? So maybe, maybe they do, but uh, to be fair, for a a lot of average Chinese, uh, they don't consider India 
at all like in their day to day conversations india barely appears it's a country india is one fifth the size of gdp it's far away from the large population center on the eastern pacific coast of china a lot of chinese have never met an indian so they don't really care too much about it so i think this is probably posturing maybe we see something maybe we don't maybe it's a bully trying to you know bluff its way out and uh, like for example pelosi called the bluff uh, maybe it's for india also to possibly call the bluff but at the same time be prepared for any sort of escalation if it occurs right back to some political drama again prime minister modi and arvind kejriwal are facing off yet again this time on freebies the bjp on friday accused the aam aadmi party of using freebies to fulfill their political ambitions bjp spokesperson sambit patra drew a distinction between the welfare measures of the center and the politics of freebies uh, mr kejriwal retorted by saying that while he has been accused of handing out freebies his measures offer free education healthcare and more he also stated that his measures were not freebies but waiving loans of friends was a lot of back and forth abhishek what, what do you see what do you see happening here so i think firstly uh, the background of this is that someone i'm not exactly sure of the case but there has been a public interest litigation filed in the supreme court uh, which says that you know uh, freebies should be banned freebies from political parties should be banned for elections or something like that so that's the context now firstly as a, a principle to me that is something the supreme court or the judiciary etc should definitely not get involved in right it is up to the people and political parties to decide what they want now i may disagree with let's say arvind kejriwal and his style of politics or freebies but he should have the right to you know promise and deliver on that right ultimately uh, it will add to uh, the expenditure of particular government and, and then it's for them to deal with the consequences right and so uh, on that principle i am on the side that political parties should be free to announce you know freebies or whatever they want to market those things as now coming to the specifics of this debate post that um, larger debate or larger case that is happening in the supreme court so obviously what has happened is both sides have tried to paint that the particular brand of welfareism slash freebies that their side offers is uh, is good while what the others do is not good right and so some sort of uh, distinction has been tried to drawn on those lines so for example the bjp says that what it likes to do is you know provide more in, spend more on infrastructure like highways and so on which are beneficial to all sections of the society or that bjp's uh, brand of welfare such as let's say the ujwala yojana and so on those are you know legitimate forms of uh, subsidy and so on while what the aam aadmi party would do is um, give uh, uh, x number of units of free electricity right which is not good uh, and so on now what mr kejriwal tried to very cleverly do is he tried to do a bit of uh, distortion where he said uh, let's say there are npa write offs uh, you know loans to large corporations he's trying to brand them as freebies being given out uh, by the bjp or so on right while what he's saying is i provide free healthcare and education and that is my brand of politics now this was again countered by i think the finance minister saying that healthcare and education are two topics where there is no question of any debate right and almost all state governments provide 
some sort of that in a free manner uh, through through public hospitals and schools. So obviously this um, sort of back and forth will keep on happening. Uh, but on the larger question, I think it's best to for the judiciary to sort of stay out of this and let the people decide, right, uh, in terms of uh, what kind of uh, welfare or freebies and things like that that they want from their uh, government. Yeah, fair enough, fair enough. Moving on, uh, we lost two big Indian inspirations uh, this week, uh, Mr. Anshu Jain and Mr. Rakesh Chunjunwala. Uh, Anshu Jain was president of Cantor Fitzgerald since 2017. Before joining Cantor Fitzgerald, Anshu Jain was co-chief executive of uh, Deutsche Bank. Born in Rajasthan, Rajasthan's Jaipur rose to Wall Street's highest ranks and transformed one of Europe's most prominent lending institutions into a global trading powerhouse. And then uh, Mr. Rakesh Junjunwala needs no introduction. He was known as the big bull in the stock markets. Uh, Mr. Junjunwala's net worth was around $5.8 billion, according to Forbes. Uh, an investor with a Midas uh, touch, he was the 48th richest man in the country. Uh, Mr. Junjunwala's latest venture, um, Akasha Air, uh, their maiden flight just took off about a, exactly a week ago on August 7th. I, I never met Rakesh Junjunwala, but I've like briefly met uh, Anshu Jain. Anshu Jain, uh, if you see, like he studied like in Sriram College of Commerce and went to the US to do an MBA and he joined uh, Credit Suisse earlier and then with his mentor he moved to Deutsche Bank. Uh, his mentor passed away early and then Anshu Jain took over and uh, uh, Deutsche Bank was a uh, boring commercial bank, uh, mainly European, mostly German and uh, there as an outsider uh, he actually gave like a good outsider's perspective, uh, grew the investment bank, uh, especially the uh, fixed income arm uh, in a massive way. Uh, he competed with the bigger American banks which had a much bigger domestic economy. Uh, he was very instrumental in a lot of Indians being hired all across Wall Street. I am one of the lucky ones as well. Uh, he made a massive impact. Uh, he's like a business builder, a true visionary. He's also a big uh, cricket fan. So I met him once in a networking event. We briefly spoke something about cricket. And uh, actually also on uh, Clubhouse, uh, I interacted once with him where uh, people were talking about an ongoing cricket match recently. But apart from that, I think he is a big visionary and a business builder. He saw an opportunity where like Germans, Germans have a lot of savings. A lot of those savings were in German commercial banks. These could be deployed and he built, built a mega business over there. right? And uh, so obviously a visionary. Uh, he believed a lot uh, in the people that he hired and he's responsible for meteoric rise of a lot of careers. Not just Indian, so you don't accuse him of nepotism, but uh, he's he is, I would say, like a true visionary. And he broke the glass ceiling. In like a European bank, there's a lot of issues. Uh, there's a lot of people didn't let him become the CEO. So then they kind of kept him as a co-CEO with one uh, German national being a CEO in uh, who came in from the retail banking side. Even though Anshu was responsible for a much bigger chunk of, uh, uh, chunk of the revenue that was being generated. And uh, he's the only non-European uh, CEO of a European investment bank, right? So that also is like something really big and uh, so absolutely uh, after being CEO of Deutsche Bank uh, he was he parted on not very friendly terms and he went to Cantor Fitzgerald which predominantly owns BG, BGC which is a broking house but tried to build it up into uh, the mammoth investment bank that he had done earlier uh, sadly that dream has been I would say let, uh, left incomplete uh, he passed away with cancer which he was suffering for, for the last 5 years and it was not in the public domain so that is also probably something to do with it anyway 
anyways like i uh, really uh, uh, wish condolences to his family uh, his memory will live on and he's touched hundreds if not thousands of people uh, directly and indirectly right and he's made a very big positive contribution to all yeah may his soul rest in peace om shanti yeah i think uh, he was also big on tiger conservation right i mean um, um, yeah so a lot of philanthropic uh, efforts as well and uh, yeah one thing common with uh, both anshu and rakesh is uh, Uh, you know that they that they really passed away young right anshu is 59 uh, mr rakesh junjunwala is 62 uh, well um, you know I, i think he was one of my favorite uh, personalities uh, mr junjunwala on indian television you know i really loved his uh, interactions with the media because he would absolutely not hold back uh, you know sometimes uh, even crossing the line right uh, in terms of what can be said on tv or not right more than a few amazing nuggets right i mean when people would ask him for advice on what sector what company and so on he would just say look india is like a buffet right now right you can take anything from here and india will grow uh, again very very optimistic about india uh, might have sa- started off uh, as a short seller in the early days uh, i think uh, there was a movie on uh, uh, the you know harshad mehta which also kind of covered him right i mean uh, uh, but but i think in the 90s he became an optimist of india uh, right uh, we a couple of bets of his titan and tata motors and so on i mean really paid off handsomely uh, in fact i mean even uh, i think couple of years back delta corp also uh, was something that uh, he bet on and he did uh, i mean he made massive money on that yeah a lot of great quotes you know what you buy is important but at what price you buy is even more important right that's one thing that i remember as well uh, very very entertaining someone who will thoroughly be missed you know because i think you know being pessimistic or being skeptical is kind of more seductive uh, you know intellectually right? you can appear as an intellectual but if you are unabashedly optimistic like mr junjunwala is um, right i mean uh, you you tend to get a lot of criticism right uh, uh, but but yeah the man uh, you know had real skin in the game uh, and he will definitely be missed uh, for sure um, mentored a, a, a lot of people as well um, so yeah abhishek uh, your thoughts yeah as you said right uh, and there is this quote from uh, morgan housel right that pessimism is intellectually sed- seductive in a way optimism only wishes it could be right and so rakesh junjunwala is sort of the reverse of that right he made it uh, his optimism was like infectious right and if you listen to a 15 20 minute interview uh from him you would come out feeling pretty good about you know the country the economic state of affairs and the market and life in general right and so uh and the great thing was as you said he could communicate in a very simple jargon free manner right his sort of big picture view is uh, of looking at things was very simple and very sort of persuasive right because he would always look at you know there's so much more to, to be to be done in india right there's such a large headroom out there in sort of all sorts of things and uh, yeah i mean he generally would refrain from giving stock specific or sector specific uh, inputs right he would say that you have to do your own homework and figure that out but you know he would probably give a bigger picture of very things the market and the econ- economy will go in general but yeah i, I mean uh, he is the true or the original big bull of the indian markets and uh, i think people and investors will you know terribly miss him and his insights and wisdom right uh, the fact that he was uh, transitioning to becoming an entrepreneur as well right with his uh, venture akasha airways 
which incidentally just started this last week right their operations uh, with in the mumbai ahmedabad uh, sector i believe right and so uh, i really wish um, the airlines yeah. does really well uh, uh, because that will be a great legacy as well right just beyond his work and his wealth creation in the investing space because uh, you know opening up an airlines right now is also a symbol of you know how he looked at india and being optimistic about its growth right because there are many who are sort of closing or shutting down as well right and so uh, yeah i think uh, he will be missed no the airline bit uh, is particularly inter- interesting right perhaps one of the most capex intensive industries he always believed that you know i mean post covid there's going to be a huge uh, revival of travel tourism uh, and all of this stuff and that you know the indian consumer was uh, you know requires more more than what the options were at that point so i hope his legacy lives on through the uh, through the airline he always used to say right i mean when people would ask him for life advice he would always say hey i mean you should take care of your health right it's something that was a bit of a late realization for him uh, he felt right um yeah uh, very unfortunate uh, again our condolences uh, you know to his wife uh, reka and the family and all of his uh, well wishers so all right uh, on that note we come to the end of the the weekly we have a couple of very good episodes coming up we have one called kautilyanomics with author shriram balasubramaniam uh, he's an economist uh, and what he's basically done is looked at uh, arthashastra and try to un, you know try to talk about the relevance of arthashastra in the current times goes into you know chanakya's uh, uh, musings on economics and policy and stuff uh, very very uh, fascinating i mean uh, nirav has uh, you know conducted this discussion himself uh, we also have another with ami ganatra who you've heard multiple times on the podcast uh, Uh, this time she is back with her book ramayana unraveled a few of you may remember her previous book mahabharata unraveled which was very nice it covered um, you know certain aspects of the mahabharata that uh, people might have overlooked uh, and also goes into um, you know the complexities of the character and so on uh, so yeah in this book she does the same thing with uh, ramayan i'm actually reading the book um, and it's already uh, quite a fascinating read uh, so i'm looking forward to talking to her and uh, yeah both these episodes will be out next week uh, again we're going to p- publish this on youtube and not on podcast platforms just yet folks i mean if you find us on your podcast feed or on youtube please like share subscribe rate review all of the good things uh, it really helps us reach a wider audience uh, it takes our content to you know uh, more people uh, obviously you see that we put in a lot of effort on this and it would be amazing if uh, more people uh, you know kind of uh, saw this stuff all right uh, thanks so much guys and uh, you know from abhishek nirav and myself uh, wish you a very very happy independence day in uh, you know in advance and yeah jai hind thank you for tuning in to this episode of the bharat vartha podcast if you want to see more content like this then don't forget to subscribe to our channel we started bharat vartha to facilitate long form discussions on politics policy and culture we don't necessarily endorse anything that was said in this episode if you wish to offer us feedback do reach out to us on social media we are at bharat vartha on facebook twitter and instagram You could also get in touch with us on our website www.bharatvartha.in. The links are in the description below. Until next time, stay safe, take care, and jai.